0: Parfait. A caution to our listeners. This episode contains subject matter some may feel distressing, including conversations on mental health and suicide. If you or anyone you know is suffering from or thinks they are suffering from some form of mental illness or thoughts of suicide, please seek help from a medical or mental health professional. The number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is one 800 273 eight two five five. That's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Listener discretion is advised. I guess going will be about September before they get out of here.
1: Hopefully. Hey passed. guys,
0: uh, how are you guys doing? Welcome to uh, Open a Fucking Book. Yes. How I'm is everybody? Taking care of one another?
1: Hopefully. Yeah. Stephanie, well, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Babe? I'm
0: fucking here. So, uh, oh, before we get started, some big book news just came out. If you guys don't know, we record this a couple weeks before we put it out just to make sure we have time to edit everything and life with as many kids as we have gets hectic, so... We try to get everything done as soon as possible so we don't have to rush. So this will be a couple weeks out. So the news might be a little uh, old by then. But I think big, everybody already knows. It's a big book news.
1: Stephanie Meyer is releasing Midnight Sun, which years ago was like the first few chapters or whatever she released online. Um, But she finally wrote the entire book, and it is going to be released in August. So, yay
0: A- for as, that. As the resident Twilight fan, are we excited about this?
1: I I kind of am. I didn't actually read what was released.
0: So it'll be new to you when it finally It will comes be out. completely new okay, to I me. I know you read all the books. You have all the fucking books. I do have all, all the, the books.
1: The I did see all the movies. I own all the movies. Somewhere know. they're packed. They're,
0: yeah, somewhere. Not important uh, enough to go looking for.
1: Yeah, no. I, I kind of, I got into Twilight, you know, after the whole craze. It was, I wasn't into it when everybody right. else was into it. Yeah. Um, I I was a little behind. Yeah. Which I, is
0: fine if you're getting into something that everybody else is already into. It's fine to get into it. Don't make, let anybody make you feel like you're a bandwagon jumper just because you got into something late.
1: I didn't, I wasn't a bandwagon jumper? No,
0: that's not who... No, no. I'm not saying you. I'm talking to all the other people who... Like, all this stuff like like somebody who jumps into Star Wars who's never watched Star Wars before and now everybody's like, oh, you really watched the Star Wars because you're allowed to get into something after everybody else has gotten into
1: it. I actually got into it because I had a... I was <laughs> and uh, a friend asked me to... I'm going to put
0: a nice long bleep over that part so we don't get arrested for Uh, everybody was doing it
1: but um she asked for a copy of new moon when it came out Mm -hmm. and so i downloaded her a copy and i had to watch it to make sure everything looked great yeah and i kind of got into the movie and i was like oh okay this is neat so instead of watching the first movie i went out and got the books and, well, you would,
0: much re- you would much rather read the books and see the movies.
1: Right, and I liked the books, and then I went and watched the first movie, the second movie, and then went to the midnight premiere of Eclipse, and um, the last one, I forgot what it was called. <laughs> the,
0: the, uh, well, the, the last ones, were the, weren't those the Breaking Dawn Oh, ones? yes, Breaking yeah.
1: Dawn Part 1 and Breaking Dawn Part 2, yeah. I went to the midnight premiere. I only premiere. know because
0: I was forced to go to the second one. <laughs> yes.
1: Um... <laughs> But I, I enjoyed the books a lot more. So reading the book from Edward's perspective might be interesting. Might. Um, and then when she came out with The Second Short Life of Brie Tanner, that was very interesting too. Um, they didn't do a movie about that, but she has seen any clips.
0: You don't have to make a movie about every fucking book that you put out. I think we need to let people know that there doesn't have to be a movie made about every single book because usually they're horrible usually movies based on books are bad just yes. because you can't fit everything from the book into the movie. So you have to cut out shit. You've complained about that with the Harry Potter movies. One of the biggest Harry Potter fans in the fucking world. And you complain about a lot of shit that they leave oh, out. The
1: Don't get me started on Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. Well, you know, I fucking won't. Because <laughs> that shit, Tim Burton fucked that up. And I fucking hate Tim Burton for that now.
0: You can't hate him. No,
1: I fucking hate him because he switched the main fucking characters around.
0: But he did everything with Ransom Riggs' approval.
1: Yeah, and Ransom Riggs can suck my dick, too. <laughs> mm. Anyway. Fair enough. Welcome back to the Robert Howard series. And we are on
0: episode two. We are on episode two. If I can wait for my fucking shit to come up. Hey, again, technology. Fucking hate it. So last we left, um, he had just started started writing for Oriental Stories, uh, that Farnsworth Wright had put out. Uh, if you hear any bangs or clings, it's our dog won't leave us the fuck alone, uh, like usual. The the joys of homemade podcasts is that everybody who's in your house somehow makes their way onto the fucking recording. Yes. Um, so he he was. Embracing his his Irish culture uh, with some of these characters that he had written about. Now, in uh, August 1930, Howard wrote a letter to Weird Tales praising the recent reprint of H.P. Lovecraft's The Rat in the Walls and discussing some of the obscure Gaelic references used within. Uh, Stephanie, you've told me that you actually had a friend ask you if we were ever going to cover H.P. Lovecraft. Yes. We will. Rats in the Walls is one of my favorite horror bo- uh, stories. Not really, it, 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 you can find it in the, the Necronomicon um, compendiums that he puts together. H.P. Lovecraft is a horrible racist and not a very good person. I'm going to put that out right now. Ron, uh, Ron, Robert Howard had his own problems with racism. Uh, it's not as prominent in his uh, writings. So it's not something I really, I'm really get into. When we cover Lovecraft, which will probably be like a Halloween type thing, is kind of what I'm wanting to leave with uh, Lovecraft and Poe and uh, all the creepy writers. Um, which I'm excited about. I you know uh, Lovecraft's probably going to be a long one. Poe is going to be a really long one, I would imagine. I love Poe. Um, that will be a big thing that we will cover is the fact that he's a horrible racist. The the cat in the in the story, "rat in the walls" is has a, a derogatory slur in it, which I will not say, but we mentioned that that word in our Mark Twain series. Um, so I just want to like we will cover H.P. Lovecraft at some point, probably around October. But uh, yeah, he was not the best guy. You could say it's because he grew up in a different time. That's what everybody says about Howard, is he grew up in a different time in a place where that stuff was prominent doesn't make it right
1: that's everybody's excuses for their parents and it's bullshit
0: It, it doesn't make it right but we're not gonna cover a whole lot of that with with howard because it i didn't we don't see it prominent really in his writing at least not from my perspective if you have a different perspective please let us know and i will gladly come on here and call myself an ass and correct myself
1: well i call you an ass every day
0: yeah so see we got it covered um Wright forwarded the letter to Lovecraft, who responded warmly to Howard as soon as the two Weird Tale veterans were engaged in vigorous correspondence that would last for the rest of Howard's life. Uh, He became a prominent member of the Lovecraft Circle, a group of writers and friends, all linked via the immense correspondence of H.P. Lovecraft, who made it a point to introduce his many like-minded friends to each other and encourage them to share stories Adopt each other, uh, adopt each other's invented fictional trappings, and help each other succeed in the pulp field.
1: So, were they like writing fanfics with each other's work?
0: Uh, yes, actually, they were writing uh, fiction for uh, most of them were writing fiction for Lovecraft's work to put in. Robert, I'll get to that in a second. That Robert uh, Howard does write some of the stuff that goes into the Cthulhu tales. But yeah, they were trading stories back and forth that had to do with other people's uh, uni- worlds. And everything kind of... So they created fan
1: fiction. Kind of, yeah. That's um, awesome.
0: Also, uh, when when it says H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's... Um, where was it where I, oh, fuck, I...
1: Too bad Anne Rice couldn't get the n- memo.
0: Why is that? Oh, where it says like-minded friends. Again, I'm hoping that's not a racist thing. And more of a... Uh, writing thing i can't i can't stress to you enough how racist hp <laughs> lovecraft was i really can't so i'm hoping that's not what it was i didn't delve too deep into the lovecraft society of friends uh but but yeah it, like you said it was pretty much fan fiction they were writing for each other's um i won't worlds. delve
1: too deep into the Anne rice shit but she pretty much got lawyers to sue anybody who wrote fan fiction about her characters. Oh, that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, But when we cover Anne Rice, which I'm sure we eventually will.
0: Eventually we'll get to everybody. I saw a Danielle Steele book in Walmart the other day, and it reminded me of the uh, episode two of Mark Twain that we did where I said I was going to write about Danielle Steele. So (laughs) I got it brewing in me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we'll get more into the fanfic shit with Okay. When we do Anne Rice.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely.
1: Because, I mean, she writes a lot about vampire shit Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, I mean, that could be like a quick, you know, around Halloween-ish shit. Yeah.
0: We'll get it covered.
1: But back to Howard. Yeah.
0: Now, in this time, Circle of Correspondence has developed a legend about its uh, rivaling literary conclave, such as the Inklings, the Bluesberry Group, and the Beats. Uh, Howard was given the affectionate nickname... To Gun Bob, by virtue of his long explications to Lovecraft about the history of his beloved Southwest, and during the ensuing years, he contributed several notable elements to Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos of horror stories. Uh, Howard's mythos included the Karn on the Headland, the Black Stone, Children of Night, and the Fire of... Now. I'm gonna fuck this... uh, Ashul Banipal. As- Asher Banapal. Sure, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about these types of writers is they like to go out of their way to come up with the most obscure, just out there fucking names no, of I places. No, I don't
1: think that's true. I think, like you said, he probably used a Gaelic name.
0: Asher Banipal. I. Do you think that's Gaelic? I mean, it could be, and you're probably pronouncing it wrong. I'm pro- I'm, I've am I'm, i pronounced so many fucking Italian and French and now Gaelic sci-fi words in the past month that I don't even know how to speak English anymore.
1: You barely know how to speak English, period. <laughs> I know, so we're
0: already starting at a negative. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that completely wrong. I will pronounce so much shit coming up wrong, I'm sure. And... I should just pronounce shit wrong just to get people to email us so people will fucking email us (laughs) and tell me that I'm doing it wrong so I know you're listening. Anyway, he also corresponded with other weird tale writers such as Clark Ashton Smith, August Derleth, and E. Hoffman Price. The correspondence between Howard and Lovecraft contained a lengthy discussion on a frequent element in Howard's fiction, barbarism versus civilization. Howard held that civilization was inherently corrupt and fragile. This attitude is summed up in his famous line from Beyond the Black River, Barbarism is the natural state of mankind. Civilization is unnatural. It is a whim of circumstance, and barbarism must always ultimately triumph. Lovecraft held the opposite viewpoint, that civilization was the peak of human achievement and the only way forward. Howard countered by listing many historic abuses of the citizenry by so-called civilized leaders. Howard initially deferred to Lovecraft, but gradually asserted his own views, even coming to deride Lovecraft's opinion.
1: Is it barbarism or barbarianism?
0: What they had right was barbarism. Because there's no N. B-A-R-B-A-R-I-S-M. That's what I that's that's what I pulled from my uh, references. Could be uh, barbarianism, but
1: because barbar I don't that doesn't make sense. But continue. Okay.
0: Also in 1930, with uh, his interest in Solomon Kane dwindling and his Cull stories not catching on, Howard applied his new sword and sorcery and uh, horror experience to one of his first loves, the Pix. His story, "Kings of the Night."
1: You were correct. I was In- correct. Ha
0: ha!
1: Barbarism. Say <laughs> barbarism is the absence of culture and civilization. Okay. I was incorrect.
0: You weren't incorrect. You just didn't know, which is two different things. Being incorrect is thinking you know something and saying something, and then and then being wrong. You were, I guess, ignorant of the fact.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I- wasn't
0: right. I was going off what my references said. So who my references are, which I believe this was from Tor.com, uh, they were correct. Yes. So I
1: I apologize.
0: Okay. Um, in his story, Kings of the Night, de- uh, depicted King Call conjured to pre-Christian Britain to aid the Picts in their struggle against the invading Romans, and introduced readers to How introduced readers to Howard's King of the Picts, Bran Macmorne. Howard followed up this tale with the now classic revenge nightmare, Worms of the Earth, which sounds fun, and several other tales, creating horrific adventures tinged with Cthulhu-esque and notable for their use of metaphor and symbolism. With the onset of the Great Depression, many pulp markets reduced their schedules or went out of business entirely. Howard saw market after market falter and vanish. Weird Tales became a bi-monthly publication, and pulp such as fight stories, action stories, strange tales, all folded. Howard was further hit when his savings were wiped out in 1931 when the Farmer's National Bank failed. Ooh. Yeah, that, that happened to a lot of people.
1: No, that the was banks, during the, the banks Great failed. Depression area so, era. And now, early
0: 1932 saw Howard taking one of his frequent trips around Texas. He traveled through the southern part of the state with his main occupation being, in his his own words, the wholesale conception of tortillas, enchiladas, and cheap Spanish wine. It was in Fredericksburg, while overlooking sullen hills through a misty rain, he conceived of a fantasy land of Samaria, a bitter, hard northern region home to fearsome fearsome barbarians. In February, he would write the poem, Samaria. It was also during that trip that Howard first conceived of the character of Conan. Finally, we get to uh, the, the biggin, the big one.
1: I'm still interested in why they were able to deliver tacos and margaritas back then, but they can't well, deliver.
0: Well, they didn't deliver. He traveled around and he went and he, that's what he said. His His main occupation was just traveling around and eating tacos, enchiladas and drinking a bunch of cheap Spanish wine.
1: Oh, I thought he, like, sold it as he walked around.
0: No, 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 no. His oh. main occupation was the consumption, not oh. the sale.
1: Well, damn, that's even better.
0: Yeah. Everybody uh,
1: else make me some fucking tacos and margaritas, <laughs> and I'll just come over and you give it to me. Well, it was
0: wine, not margaritas, but I'm sure, uh, I'm well, sure concessions can be made. Yes. Okay. Uh, going back home, he developed the idea of fleshing out new invented worlds, his Hyborian age and populating it with all matters of countries, peoples, monsters, and magic. Howard loved history and enjoyed writing historical stories. However, the research necessary for a purely historic setting was too time-consuming for him to engage in on a regular basis and still earn a living. So you get into that pesky, oh, I gotta be accurate shit. So if you can't be accurate, you might as well make it up. the Hyborian Age, with its varied settings similar to real places and eras of history, allowed him to write pseudo-historical fiction without all that pesky fucking research.
1: Oh, yeah. that That's the worst. Yeah.
0: Trust me, I know. I've been doing a lot of it lately. And as much <laughs> as I love history and love doing the podcast, the research can suck sometimes.
1: Well, it's time-consuming. It is. It's
0: very time-consuming because you want to be accurate. You want to be very accurate. You want to, and you want to tell stories that people haven't heard already. Because you can't come out here and just say, "Oh, Mark Twain was a riverboat pilot," then he wrote a bunch, bunch of books. Everybody already knows that. So you got to delve deep into it to find all the little nuggets of goodness that nobody knows. Right. Otherwise, it's not really worth it. Yeah, it it's not. You can't it, tell people what they already know.
1: We're we're doing these chop and dices of autobiotic biographical details of authors and we're not just going over their works we're going over their lives and what made them into an author what made them into the person that made them into one of America's greatest authors or one of the world's greatest
0: authors yeah or some that we have coming up uh in the next couple months some of the most infamous authors yes of who we will cover uh down the road Now, by March, Howard had recycled an unpublished cult story called By This Axe I Rule! (laughs) with a big exclamation point at the end Uh, into his first Conan story. The central plot remains that of a barbarian having become king of a civilized country and a conspiracy to assassinate him. Uh, however, he removed an entire subplot concerning the couple's romance and created a new one with a supernatural element. The story was retiled, The Phoenix on the Sword. Ooh. This His stories are the most fun to say with that little bit of ooh-ah in them. You know, they really are. <laughs> like with Twain, it's Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. But here we got, by this axe I rule! And I can put my fist up in the air and scream it. Uh, Howard immediately went on to write, Two more Conan stories. The first of these was the Frost Giant's Daughter. See how much fun that is. Uh, the invention of a Greek myth surrounding Apollo and Daphne, Ooh. Uh, set much earlier in Conan's life. My wife, the uh, the ever uh, the mythos fan. Yes, she loves all the the Greek and Roman and North myso- mythology, which I do too. And Egyptian. Yeah, I do too. Just not. I don't know half as much as this woman does. The last of the initial trio was The God in the Bowl, which went through three drafts and has a slower pace than most Conan stories. This one is a murder mystery filled with corrupt officials and serves as Conan's introduction into civilization while showing that he is a more decent person than the civilized characters. Another one of his. Civilization sucks. Barbarism is the way to go. See this barbarian? He's better than all these civilized people. Uh, Howard's his his strength wasn't normally his mystery writing. His strength was normally uh, guy with sword, kills bad guy, gets girl with big boobs. That was his type of thing. Um, he had trouble with mystery writings in the past. Uh, before the end of the month, he set, he sent the first two stories to Weird Tales in the same package, uh, with the third following a few days later. With these three completed, he created an essay called The Hyborian Age in order to flesh out his settings in more detail. There were four drafts of this essay, starting with a two-page outline and finishing as an 8,000-word essay. Howard supplemented this with two sketched maps and an additional short piece entitled Notes on Various Peoples of the Hyborian Age. So pretty much he wrote all these stories, he's like, here's all this, and now Here's all this shit to go with it so so your imagination doesn't just run wild you you can you you can direct what you're thinking to well this is what the city looked like and this is what this looked like and this is what these people look like so and he's
1: giving all that information out before the book is completed. That's kind of interesting because with most books that I've read, especially in the adult contemporary young adult genre, you're you get some details as to what the characters look like, but for the most part, your your imagination is what you want the characters to look like. And in in a specific series that I've I've read uh the Duranda Jones Charlie Davidson series, um there's even a Facebook group about it. The one of the main characters, Alexander Ray Farrow, Ray's... um There's constantly posts on that about who everyone thinks Ray's looks like. I like that we can imagine our own characters, but it's weird that Howard pretty much said, here's what all my characters look like, here's what...
0: He sent in pretty much everything around the same time, but he didn't wait for them to decide yes or no on whether or not they were going to publish it. He he sent it all in. So uh, in a letter dated March 10th, 1932... Farnsworth, Farnsworth Wright, Futurama, uh, rejected Farnsworth. the Frost Giant's daughter, Ooh. but noted noted that the Phoenix on the Sword had points of real excellence and suggested suggested changes. The God in the Bowl would also be rejected, and so uh, a potential fourth Conan story concerning Conan as a thief was abandoned. But instead of abandoning the entire Conan concept as had happened with previous failed characters, Howard rewrote The Phoenix on the Sword based on Wright's feedback and included material from his essay. Both this revision and the and the next Conan story, The Tower of the Elephant, sold with no problem. Howard had written 9 Conan stories before the first saw print. So he didn't know if they were going to be accepted or not, he just hoped they would be. And he wrote 9 stories for Conan before any of them got published.
1: Okay, so he basically didn't give a shit if they were going to print. He just wrote them because he had this idea and he had to get well, it out. Again,
0: Howard's the type that if he's not this this he's one of those idle minds or the devil's playground. You know, idle hands or the devil's playground. Mm-hmm. With him it's an idle mind. If he's not doing something, if he's not put if he's not putting it out there. Uh, I truly believe that he would have gone clinically insane. Conan first appeared uh, to the public in Weird Tales in December 1932, and it was such a hit that Howard was eventually able to place 17 Conan stories in the magazine between 1933 and 1936, but not before taking a short break from Conan after his initial burst of stories, returning to the character in mid-1933. These stories, his middle period, are routine and considered the weakest of the series. Stories such as Iron Shadows in the Moon were often simply Conan rescuing a damsel in distress from a monster in some ruins. So it's what he knew best to write, but it was he was writing so many of them that it was just kind of, it was nothing new.
1: No, your stick is boring, dude.
0: Yeah, I mean, he needed to kind of pull himself out of that a little bit. Uh, while earlier Conan stories had three or four drafts, some in this period only had two, including including the final version. So he'd write a rough draft, and then he'd write a final draft, and there was nothing in between, which seems ridiculous. Because anytime you write anything, just on this podcast alone, I go over it half a dozen times to make sure that uh, everything's the way we want it to be. I spent a half an hour just placing the music on the fucking thing, so I can't imagine writing an entire story. Well, here's the rough draft. Okay, I fix what I need fix. Send it in. They'll they'll buy it.
1: That's what I do when I write a paper.
0: But this isn't a paper. This is something he's putting out for publication.
1: Papers get publication
0: published. I mean, if, if 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 that's good, if you can pull that off, then more power to you. It just it seems like if you're basing your whole livelihood on it, and you've already had stuff rejected before that you'd maybe do do a third draft just to make sure. Send in send in the, the draft and say, take a look at this if you you know tell me what I need to fix. But that was the problem. He didn't really have anybody editing all of his stuff. He was kind of doing it on his own. Rogues in the House is the only Conan story to be completed in a single draft. So no rough draft. He just wrote it and sent it in. Which, you're giving me a look, but to me that sounds crazy because I've seen you do your work you write a rough draft and a final draft but you meticulously go over that to make sure you are doing it right That's not I edit as I go that's not how Howard did things he'd go shit ape shit on his fucking typewriter screaming it while he was typing it out as it came from him that's how it came out he'd look at it do whatever editing he needed to do and then boom it was out the door they, those are what you do and what others might do, editing while they go, taking their time. Because you take a lot of time when you write your papers. I, do, I it takes. He didn't take that much time. He would bust those fucking things out. I mean, you got this is a guy who wrote hundreds of short stories, poems, and letters in the short amount of time that he was writing.
1: Well, maybe by that time when he wrote that one draft he had 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 so much practice and he knew the story so well in his mind
0: but they were getting mediocre you got to think that he
1: had a stick and he was stuck in a rut
0: but you got to think if he would have taken his time maybe sent it in said could you please help me with this uh edit it for me let me know what i need fixed uh they would have been better stories
1: they could have been but he wasn't the type of he doesn't seem like the type of person to ask for help
0: no uh, these stories sold easily, and they including the first. Uh, they included the first and second Conan stories to be featured on the cover of Weird Tales, Black Colossus and Zathul of the Dusk. That's a fun one to say. Uh, grabbing a cool hundred and thirty dollars each, which is today about twenty six hundred bucks Ooh. a piece. Damn, it's good money. Uh, Howard's motivation for quick and easy sales at this time was influenced by the collapse of some of some other markets, such as fight stories in the Depression. So I guess that could be another reason why he's trying to push them out as quick as possible, because he never knows when the pulps that he's sending these uh, stories to are just going to up and collapse.
1: Right, and he had already lost all his fucking he money. He had lost and-
0: a lot of money. He had lost his, his savings, and uh, a lot of the other ones he had written to had already closed down so it, it makes it to me it's still a little irresponsible to just shoot him out um you're putting yourself out there you want to be your best self but i guess like i said if you do it that many times you kind of know what you're doing and he wants to get him out as fast as he can so he can make sure that he gets paid for him
1: well yeah and he's probably trying to save up money because like he said it you know he's worried about them closing down like all the other ones did so he's building up money in case they do close down so he has a nice little nest egg to, to survive off of.
0: Well, uh, other big things are going to come. So uh, also in 1933, a British publisher, publisher Dennis Archer contacted uh, Howard about publishing a book in the United Kingdom. Howard submitted a batch of his best available stories including The Tower of the Elephant and The Scarlet Citadel in June. In late 1933, Howard returned to writing Conan starting, again, slightly awkwardly with The Devil in Iron, making him $115, $115 or just under $2,200 today for one fucking story. However, this was followed with the beginning of the latter group of Conan stories, which carried the most intellectual punch, starting with The People of the Black Circle, earning Howard $250 for the publication, or just over 5000 in today's money. Uh, Just after New Year's 1934, Dennis Archer, the English publisher, uh, rejected the collection of stories sent to him, uh, but suggested a novel instead. Uh, Though Archer was exceedingly interested in the stories, the rejection letter explained that there was a prejudice that is very strong over here just now against collection of short stories. Uh, The suggested novel, however, could be published by Pauling and Nest Limited in the first edition of 5,000 copies for lending libraries. Howard began to work on the novel in early 1934 and started to write uh, Almuric, a non-Conan sword and planet science fiction novel, but abandoned it halfway. This was followed by another abortive attempt at a novel, this time a Conan novel, which later became Drums of Tombalku. Uh, which would go on to be a fantasy short story that would be published after his death. Uh, The third attempt at writing the novel was more successful, resulting in Howard's only Conan novel,
1: The Hour of the Dragon.
0: This novel combines elements of two previous Conan stories, Black Colossus and The Scarlet Citadel, with Arthurian myth and provides an overview of Conan and the Hyborian Age for the new British audience. So they didn't know... Uh, really about this. So he was they were they were getting uh, kind of a smack in the face with Conan. Uh, Howard sent his final draft to Dennis Archer, May 20th, 1934. He had worked exclusively on the novel for two months, writing approximately approximately 5,000 words per day, seven days a week. Uh, although he told acquaintances that he had little hope for this novel, he had put a lot of effort into it. However, the publisher went into receivership in late, uh, late 1934 before it could print the novel. Um, receivership uh, is a situation in which an institution or enterprise is held by a receiver or a person placed in the custodial responsibility for the property of others, including tangible and intangible assets and rights, especially in cases where a company cannot meet financial obligations, or enters bankruptcy. Um, The story was briefly held as a part of the company's assets before being returned to Howard. It was later printed in Weird Tales as a serial over five months, beginning with the December 1935 issue. So it didn't become the big novel that he was hoping for, uh, but they were able to get published. It just got published in a pulp magazine instead of in book form. He began to write, although never finished, a Conan story called Wolves Beyond the Border. This was the first Conan tale to have an explicit American setting, and the only one in which Conan himself does not appear. So it's a Conan story, but no Conan.
1: So how can it be a Conan story? Because
0: with... it's set in the Conan world. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, it's probably got some of the... Uh,
1: Some of the... Some of the... Some of the characters. Sub-characters. Yeah,
0: and and the monsters. It's still the Conan universe. Just, you know, no Conan. Uh, His next story was based on his unfinished material and became Beyond the Black River, which not only used the different American frontier setting, but was also, in Howard's own words... A Conan yarn without sex interest, which was weird for him to not have a sex interest, because he he tells uh, Novel and Price, who we will get to, um, that he loved he loved writing about women with big boobs. <laughs> so for him to not have a sex interest, it's uh, he's definitely finally stepping away. Was he bit. ever?
1: Did he ever have a girlfriend?
0: Novel and Price, we will get to her. Yeah, I mean, she okay. is she is his only serious relationship.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and they were engaged at one point.
0: No, um, they were. That's. We'll get to that in, in a little bit.
1: Okay. Did they ever actually get together?
0: I was not able to find anything about it. I don't think she, he never wrote about his life, really. And uh, the other people that wrote about it, they never really covered whether or not they're, you know, sexually active. I,
1: so, okay. So. <laughs> Are you all right? Yeah, uh, so basically he was a virgin with Well, I don't a know about, fetish. I don't know
0: about, if I don't know if he was a virgin or not, I doubt he was a virgin. I bet he, because he's like one of those deep, deep, dirty boys. I doubt he was a virgin. Him and and Price date for a while. Yeah, but she... he sounds like he's a recluse. Uh, no, he got out there. He was he he went traveling all the time. He had some lifelong friends that he would go out and do stuff. But he wasn't like the type of guy who's gonna go out and you know shoot the shit with people. But he did a, he he went out a lot. Uh, he yeah, takes Novlan get... no he takes Novelin Price on dates. They go to the movies. Um, they go. Yeah, but doesn't Mama have to be there? No, no, the mom's not there. He's a, he's again. This is the thing about the mom is he's allowed to go out and live his life. She just wanted to make sure that he was focusing on his work. But he was allowed to go do whatever the fuck he wanted. He'd take off for weeks at a time just traveling around Texas. He was able, he was able to do whatever he wanted. So I, I seriously doubt that he died a virgin. Him and Novelin Price dated for a while. Off and on for a while. And she, uh, I mean, she even goes as far as wishing that they had gotten married. So I'm I'm sure and she seems like the uh, there's a, she seems like the type that probably wouldn't go with him for very long if they weren't going to. Oh, so she was loosey-goosey. I know I'm not going to say she was loosey-goosey, but she she does some things. That we'll get to her in a little bit. Okay, okay. Uh. Oh, fuck, where was I? Uh, another novel twist, Conan and the other protagonists have, at best, a puric victory. This was rare for a pulp magazine, and that is where the the victory is uh, almost detrimental. They lose more than they gain. Uh, you go into war so your people can be free, and then three-quarters of your people die. It's not really a victory. And that, that, that kind of sits sour in people's mouths. So that wasn't a real big thing um, in pulps. This was followed by another experimental Conan story, The Black Stranger, with a similar setting. The story was, however, rejected by Weird Tales, and that was rare for later Conan stories to be rejected. It was kind of one of those things, oh, it's Conan story? Throw it in the magazine. But this one didn't make it. Uh, Howard's next piece, The Maneaters of Zambula, uh, was more formulaic and was accepted by the magazine with no problem. Howard only wrote one more Conan story, Red Nails, which was influenced both by his personal experience at the time and an uh, extrapolation of his views on civilization. Now the Conan series was a leading feature of Weird Tales for the rest of Howard's lifetime, but as payments fell further behind and the medical expenses incurred by Howard's, Howard's mother's illness mounted, he inevitably looked elsewhere for steady paycheck, and near the end of his life, he was talking about giving up on fantasy altogether and concentrating on something he had wanted to write about for a very long time—westerns. Uh, my wife is not a big fan of westerns. I, however, love them. I think they're fun. Bang bang choo choo I choo choo. Oh, that's the same thing as space shit, except the bang bang—it's pew pew. <laughs> I like the pew pew better than the bang bang. All right, do we well. syrup. I
1: don't, I don't like country shit. No, that, that's fine. Uh, in the spring of
0: 1933, Howard started to place work with Otis Eldebert Klein. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a former uh, pulp writer as his agent. Uh, Klein encouraged him to try writing in other genres in order to expand into different markets. Klein's agency was successful in finding outlets for more of Howard's stories and even placed works that had been rejected when Howard was marketing himself alone. Howard continued to continued to sell directly to Weird Tales, however. He had set up a relationship with them. He didn't need somebody getting in the middle of that. Him and Weird Tales were... BFFs. They were simpatico. They knew, you know, they, they were good.
1: Oh, look at your Spanish.
0: Uh, that's Spanish?
1: Simpatico? Yeah.
0: Oh fuck, I thought it was Portuguese. Howard, Howard wrote uh, one of the first weird Western stories ever created. Um, the Whore from the Mound. So this might be a Western that you actually like. Because it's not just Western. It's weird, horror Western.
1: Okay, so that that it, might be interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's not just like... It's not like The Quick and the Dead or something. Where it's all Western and they're all... It's all Yeah, gun- I, I don't even know what that exactly. is. Uh, or... Um, the good and bad, and the ugly. Uh, okay, you know, that's It's, uh, it's not a it, yeah. You know, what's his face? Yeah, it's not all. Uh, it's not all shoot 'em ups. It's it's there's a there's a horror element behind it. Uh, it was published in May nineteen thirty two, uh, issue of Weird Tales. This genre acted as a bridge between his early weird stories, as a contemporary term for horror and fantasy, and his uh, his later straight western tales. Uh, he tried writing detective fiction but hated reading mystery stories and disliked writing them and honestly wasn't very good at it, like we covered before with the Conan one. More successful, successfully in late 1933, Howard took a character conceived in his youth, El Borak, and began using him in mature professional tales of World War I-era Middle Eastern adventures that landed in top-notch complete stories and thrilling adventures. The 1920s version was a treasure hunting adventurer, but the 1930s version first seen in the daughter of Ehrlich Khan in the December, 1934 issue of top notch was a grim gunfighter, uh, keeping the peace after having gone native in Afghanistan. As with his other series, uh, he created another character in the same vein, Kirby O'Donnell, uh, not very fantasy name. It's, probably, it's one of the only names I can say that he's created. Uh, but this character lacked the grim western elements and was not successful. Probably because he had a name that everybody could pronounce.
1: You'd think that would be more successful, especially in the United States, because yeah, he's an you, every
0: everyman man. Yeah, but when, but when you're reading fantasy, you don't want an everyman man. You want somebody bigger than life.
1: Well, even in fantasy, you want someone you, you can relate back, to and not imagine back yourself. Then.
0: Not back then, because it was it was yeah. so new back now. And everybody wanted to escape their yeah. mundane lives. Yeah, yes. because life was fucking horrible in the nineteen thirties. Yeah, so yeah. The nineteen twenties, everything was popping. It was it was the fucking roaring twenties. But the thirties hit and it was fucking horrible. They didn't realize it was gonna get worse when World War II broke out, but you need to escape, and at, at, and at that time, uh, it was, uh, this whole fantasy thing was kind of new as far as being in, in publication. So you didn't want somebody you could relate to. You wanted just you wanted barbarians and women with huge boobs, and that's what he wrote.
1: Well, yeah, because most women didn't have huge boobs back then.
0: Well, they had the Yeah. Anyway, uh, in the years since Conan had been created, Howard found himself increasingly fascinated with the history and lore of Texas and the American Southwest. Many of his letters to to H.P. Lovecraft ran for a dozen pages or more, filled with stories he had picked up from elderly Civil War veterans, uh, Texas Rangers, and pioneers. His Conan stories began featuring uh, Western elements, most notably Beyond the Black River, the Black Stranger, and the unfinished Wolves Beyond the Border. By 1934, some of the markets killed off by the Depression had come back, and Weird Tales was over uh, $1,500 behind on payments to Howard, or just over $29,000. They owed him $29,000. Why would he
1: continue... Writing for them and sending him his works, he, it, just,
0: he just had faith that eventually they would they would come back, and and a lot of his stuff is that he sent the stuff in because you didn't get paid until it got published, so you'd send the stuff in and they take it and they publish it, but then they would never send them the check, so they already had the stories.
1: Yeah, and they obviously had to make the money if they went into print.
0: Yeah, uh, the author therefore stopped writing weird fiction and turned his attention to steadily growing passion of the Western. The first of Howard's most commercially successful series within his own lifetime was started July 1933. Mountain Man was the first of the Breckenridge Elkin stories. Mountain Man! (laughs) Uh, Humorous Westerns in a similar style to his early sailor Steve Costigan stories and again featuring an exaggerated cartoonist version of Howard himself as the main character. Now, uh, written as Tall Tales in the vein of Texas, Tall Lying, like Pecos Bill or Paul Bunyan, the story first appeared in the March April 1934 issue of Action Stories. Again, not very uh, creative with the names of the magazine. And it was so successful that other magazines asked Howard for similar characters. Howard created Pike Bearfield for Argosy. And Buckner J. Grimes for Cowboy Stories. Action Stories published a new Elkin stories story every issue without fail until well after Howard's death, so that he had sent them enough to keep printing his stories even after he died. Uh, at Klein's suggestion, he also created A Gent from Bear Creek, a Breckenridge Elkin a Breckenridge-Elkins novel comprises, comprising existing short stories and new material. Uh, the stories continue on from each other like chapters in a book. Uh, the stories are humorously written, as if told by Breckenridge-Elkins, a hillbilly with no schooling. Uh, he and his kin live in the Humboldts in Nevada. Elkins is six feet six, six inches tall, as strong as a grizzly bear, Can be bad-tempered if riled, Uh, and there are there's a lot to rile him, especially his relatives. But he's dumb as hell. Well, he's a hillbilly, so yeah. Uh, (laughs) However, Conan remained the only character that Howard ever spoke of with his friends in Texas, and the only one in whom they seemed interested. It is possible that Breckenridge Elkins and other characters in his stories were too close to home for Howard to be entirely comfortable discussing them. Uh, in spring 1936, Howard sold a series of spicy stories to... Can you, they're spicy stories, so what do you think the name of the magazine is? Spicy They're spicy they're they're spicy adventure stories. So what's the name of the magazine? Spicy Adventure Stories. Very good. Spicy Adventure <laughs> Stories. The spicy series of pulp magazines dealt in stories that were considered borderline softcore pornographic at the time. But are now Cinemax. But are, but they're now similar to romance novels, Danielle Steele and the like. Uh, These stories, which Howard referred to as Bubbly Twisters, featured the character Wild Bill Clanton and were published under the pseudonym Sam Walser. So he didn't want people to know it was really him. (laughs) Hey, all you book people. Do you love wrestling? Do you hate wrestling? Well, i got the podcast for you. I know it's not real, but that had to hurt. is a podcast Stephanie and I do on all the things we love and hate about wrestling today. Get a viewpoint from people who are strictly fans and live outside the industry. So go to audioparfait.com, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, normally, I wouldn't go into too much detail about a relationship with a random girlfriend, but Howard is known to only have had one girlfriend in his lifetime. Poor no- guy. Novel and Price. Price was an ex-girlfriend a Tevis Clyde Smith. One of Howard's best friends who we talked about. Oh, the so we got episode. sloppy
1: seconds. Well,
0: kind of. Uh, she had known uh, Clyde since high school and they had remained friends after their relationship ended. So they were on good terms. It was just one of those things where they didn't see each other anymore, really. And they didn't they didn't see each other in that way. They loved they, they loved each other's friends, but they didn't go together real well as a couple. It happens.
1: I don't think I'm friends with any of my
0: exes. Me neither, but I didn't have that many. Um, She first met Howard in the spring of 1933 when Howard was visiting Smith after driving his mother to a Brownwood clinic. Howard and Smith drove to Price's farm and Smith introduced his friends to each other. Price was an inspiring writer and had heard of Howard from Smith in the past and was enthusiastic to meet him in person. However, he was not what she had expected. She wrote in her diary about this first meeting.
1: This man was a writer. Him? It was unbelievable. He was not dressed as I thought a writer should dress.
0: They parted after a drive, and now would not see each other again for over a year. Now, a year doesn't seem like a long time for most people's lives. A year's a long time for uh, Robert Howard's life because it's it's not a long life. In late 1934, Price got a job as a school teacher in Cross Plains High School through her cousin, the head of the English Department. When Howard came up in conversation with her new colleagues, she defending him, f- defended him from accusations of being a freak and crazy, then phoned his house and left a message. This call was not returned, so she tried a few more times. Price visited the Howard house in person after having her telephone calls blocked by a passive-aggressive Hester Howard. Yes, this is where Novelin and Hester kind of butt heads because Hester, it's not that she doesn't want him to socialize with women. It's that she wants him focusing on his writing and he's afraid that this girl is going to keep him from that.
1: Well, I mean, okay. To the first part that you said, she defended him when people call them a freak and a weirdo. I would have been like, yeah, he is. But you know what? His writing is genius and he's making money off of it. You're just a fucking teacher. Yeah,
0: At the time he was making more money than most of the people in cross plans, including the upper echelon. I mean, he was he was bringing in money pretty good.
1: Yeah. And then butting heads with, you know, the parental figure. I butt heads with your mom sometimes.
0: Well, I mean, that happens. But see, here's the thing. it. I need to state this now. Most of this stuff from here, from this little part that we're about to talk about, comes from Price. It's not something that somebody witnessed between the two of them. This comes from Price's book that heard Hester butted heads and that Hester was passive aggressive. Okay, so So we don't know if it's one side of the story. Yeah. Um, so it's biased. She was not Hester's biggest fan. Um, Could have been forgetfulness. Or protection for her son's riding career that was seen as passive aggressive. So, I mean, she she was sick. It could have been that she took the message and it, it immediately forgot it.
1: Well, let me explain something here. She was sick and in pain.
0: Constantly.
1: And if she was under medication. her I used to be so nice and so patient. And when my disorder took over me. Not in the time. Oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) When my disorder took over me and the medication I had to take, I changed into a different person because of the pain and because of the shit I had to take and because I cannot do the things I
0: used to do. You don't quite have the memory you used to.
1: I don't. And I'm not as intelligent as I once was. I disagree.
0: I believe you're just as intelligent. You you, you, You forget some of the stuff that you know. It's just sometimes you have to be reminded of what you know.
1: I I disagree. I think some of the medicine has fucked with my brain, wow. but I'm not who I used to be and it hurts me. And sometimes I take that out on the wrong people. I think maybe she had gone through something similar because I know other people who have changed because of their illnesses and medication. Right. So it's quite possible That could have happened. It's
0: a possibility. Anything's a possibility. Uh, After a drive through town, they arranged their first date. Oh. Through much of the next two years, they dated on and off, uh, spending much time discussing writing, philosophy, history, religion, reincarnation, and just a lot of other shit in those areas. Uh, Both considered marriage, but never at the same time.
1: Okay. At one
0: point, she was in love with him, and he pretty much flat out told her, I'm not a one-woman guy. I can't be held down. And once she decides, okay, fuck it, then I'm done, then that's when he realizes, I love her. I want to be with her. But by then, it's too late. The problem is, uh, well, we'll... we'll...
1: Okay, that kind of answered one of my... Sorry. That answered one of my questions then, because I was going to ask, you say off and on, why would they break up if they had so much in common?
0: Well, that's the thing, is they had these discussions, 99% of the time, they were arguing about it. He believed one thing, she believed something else. And they would argue, uh, uh, they'd argue about uh, religion, they'd argue about women in general, because he had a very misogynistic way of thinking. And she was, you know, she was a modern 30s woman. And uh, she, they didn't agree. And she just kind of would put up with it a little bit. Like, she'd, she'd take off walking. Like, they'd be walking around. like They'd be driving around, or they'd be parked somewhere, necking, as they'd say back in the day. And uh, they'd get into a conversation or argument. She'd storm off. And he'd drive through fields or dirt roads or whatever to catch up to her pull the car over in front of her and yell at her to get in and she she'd cross her arms and her and then get in the fucking car and they drive away they just wouldn't talk on the way home or they would talk and she'd you know eventually forgive him and they'd go back to doing whatever they were doing before that's kind of the relationship they had they fell in love just not exactly at the same time or for maybe the same reason i think she fell in love more with the fact that he was obviously a tortured soul and he obviously had all this shit going on in his head, and for a lot of women, that's a draw. They they see this guy who needs help, and they fall in love with him because they think that they can help him,
1: or they think that they can fix him. Yeah, I know way too many women who think that they can do that today.
0: But that 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 was the, I, I'm I'm guessing that was his draw is that he was obvious he he was obviously a tortured genius, and that's a very big draw for a certain type of person. And she just happened to be that type of person. And she was just this, a woman. And he he loved her, too. Uh, Maybe
1: she had big tits.
0: I've seen pictures. She did not.
1: Oh. Okay. Well, she had tits, period.
0: Yeah. Uh, Price became ill from overwork in the mid-1935. Her doctor, a friend of Howard's father, advised her to end the relationship and get a job in a different state.
1: Yeah, because that's going to make you feel better.
0: Uh, despite agreeing to it, she met with Howard soon after being discharged. So it's like yeah, yeah, sure, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she goes right back to him. That's probably another reason she liked him so much because she was told them to stay. She was told to stay away. And what do you what do you want when you're told to stay away from something? What's the only thing you want to do? Go to that thing that you were told to stay away from. Howard, however, was too preoccupied with the state of his mother's health to give her the attention she wanted. And their relationship didn't last much longer. She she wanted him to worry about her and, wor- and to worry about himself. That was a big thing between the two. Sh- she felt that he was spending too much time worrying about his mother. Because she didn't 100% believe that her his mother was as sick as she was. A lot of people thought that Hester was pulling everybody's fucking leg.
1: Yeah, I remember you saying that in the last episode. Yeah.
0: and it, It's obviously not true. She was extremely sick yeah. and ex- an extreme amount of pain. But if you're not in the house seeing what's going on, all you think, all, all you hear are the stories. So you just think, oh, she's just an overbearing mother that won't let her child go anywhere, even though he went places all the fucking time. Not considering herself to be in an exclusive relationship, Price began dating one of Howard's best friends, Truett Vincent. Uh, Howard discovered his friend's relationship while he and Truart were on a week's trip together to New Mexico. This whole love triangle and the trip itself were the main inspiration for the story, Red Nails. The relationship between Price and Vincent ended, but they continued visiting with each other as friends until May 1936, when Price left Cross Plains for Louisiana State University to get a graduate degree. The two never spoke or wrote each other again. In an effort to improve her memory and writing, Price began recording all her daily conversations into a journal, in the process preserving an intimate record of her time with Howard. This was useful years later when she wrote of their relationship in a book called The One Who Walked Alone.
1: Well, I guess Howard and said friend didn't uh, know the Age-old adage, bros before hoes.
0: Well, uh, <laughs> it didn't seem like Howard was really in a relationship because he was, you know, Howard. So his friend, they, his friend knew that he was kind of seeing someone, and she, uh, they kind of met. You see this in the movie. Uh, they they meet, and it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're Howard's friend. Oh yeah, you're Howard's friend. And then they just start going going places together, and they end up dating.
1: Well, she knew she was in a relationship with Howard. She didn't
0: see herself as in a committed relationship because Howard refused to commit. Howard refused to give her the attention, whether the attention she actually deserved as somebody you're in a relationship with or the attention she felt like she deserved. Since it's all coming from her writings, you can't know for sure if if she wasn't getting any attention at all from him or if she just wasn't getting as much attention that she wanted. So you can make your own assumptions to that. But in the end of it... It's still fucked up. At the end of it, he wasn't acting like a boyfriend should. So she decided to go elsewhere.
1: Okay, so they were dating. But they weren't dating exclusively. So she goes, starts in fucking his friend. And then he finds out when he's on a week-long trip with the friend. Yeah. And
0: the story goes that he, he, he was upset, but not near as upset as one... As you think he would be. Uh, he wasn't like visibly upset with him. But God knows what was going on in the mind of somebody with the mental issues that Robert Howard had.
1: The dude's lucky he didn't get murdered.
0: <laughs> now, this was the basis for the 1996 film The Whole Wide World, starring Vincent D'Onofrio as Howard and Ren- Renee Zellweger as Price, which I watched. And it was OK. <laughs> um, It was OK. It was an OK movie. It, it, was, uh, it was about all I can say. It was an okay movie. It wasn't god-awful, but it wasn't anything that... They jump around a lot. Like, they cover her sickness, but it's all of a sudden, one day she's sick. You don't know why. They cover... A, a, it was a big time span that they cover, and they never tell you what time span they're in. Like, one day they're dating, the next day they're not dating. But that could be three months in between, and they don't tell you. And there's a kissing scene where they go up to this uh, hill this little, like, plateau, and they're talking. He's talking about how he loves, you know, women in the story should have big boobs and all this. And they start making out after arguing. They start making out, and it's... Vincent D'Onofrio is great. I love him and so much stuff. And I like a lot of Renee Zellweger movies. The makeout scene that they had is about the most uncomfortable thing I've seen since Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie kissed on MTV. It's off-putting. It's uh- one of those things you can... I, they might have it on YouTube. I rented it for like a dollar ninety nine on. I think it might have been Prime. I don't know. I might even got it for free on Prime, um, on just the Roku that we have in our front room, and I watched it. And yeah, it's 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 one of those things where you just you sit through, you don't watch it, you sit through it. <laughs> it ha- it happens to you. That's what it is. Did you see that movie? Oh yeah, it happened to me. So, not a horrible movie, but it's definitely not anything great. Uh, By 1936, almost all of Howard's fiction writing was being devoted to westerns. The novel, A Gent from Bear Creek, was due to be published by Herbert Jenkins in England. And by all accounts, it looked as if he was finally breaking out of the pulps and into more prestigious book markets. But Howard's home and private life were quickly going downhill. All of his closer friends up and married and had careers. Novelin had moved away for school. Weird Tales was in decline and falling behind on its payments. And worst of all for Howard, and probably the final proverbial nail in the coffin, his mother's health was in steep decline. Hey guys, have you been trying to grow out that beard? I know it took me a while to grow mine. Let me tell you about the people over at beardstruggle.com. They have the ultimate collection of beard growth and care products for guys who are just starting their beard journey and only have a little bit of stubble, all the way to men with glorious chin locks all the way down to their belly buttons. They use 100% natural ingredients, never test on animals, and promise a 365 day money back guarantee. And now, if you use my coupon code KevinY15 at checkout, you'll save an additional 15% off your order. So go to thebeardstruggle.com or use the link in our show notes, and get everything you need to keep that face fur healthy. And don't forget the code, KevinY15, that's K-E-V-I-N-Y-1-5, for 15% off today. Go. Now. Odin demands it. The constant interruptions of care workers at the home, combined with the frequent trips to various sanatoriums for her care, made it nearly impossible for Howard to write. Uh, Now looking back on the months before Hester's illness taking fully hold over her, there were several signs of what Howard had planned. Uh, He made veil allusions to his father about planning suicide, which his father did not understand at the time. He made references when speaking to Novelyn Price about her being in his sear and yellow leaf. The words sounded familiar to her, but it was only in early June 1936 that she found the source in Macbeth. In the weeks before, Howard wrote to Klein, giving his agent instructions of what to do in case of his death. He wrote his last will and testament. He borrowed a 38 Colt automatic from his friend Lindsey Tyson on June 10th, which I don't understand. He he borrowed a Colt 30 uh, a 38, but he had guns in his car all the time. He always had he always had some guns. He's lived in Texas in the 30s. Everybody had a fucking gun. So why would he need to borrow somebody's?
1: Yeah, that doesn't well, the guns in his car were specifically for his enemies. His enemies. His, his, so, his
0: fucking enemies.
1: He was not himself an enemy.
0: I mean, I guess you could put it that way. I don't know. That that stuck out to me. He always had guns. I don't know why you need to borrow them. <sighs> On June 10th, he drove to Brownwood and bought a burial plot for the whole family. On the night before, when his father confirmed that his mother was finally dying, he asked where his father would go afterwards. Isaac Howard replied that he would go wherever his son went, thinking he meant to leave Cross Plains. All fled, all done, so lift me on the pyre. The feast is over, and the lamps expire. This was Howard's note found in his typewriter, After the event, the lines were taken from the poem, The House of Caesar, by Viola Garvin. Now, um, we're going to get to some real heavy stuff. So if you have uh, problems with death or talks of suicide, um, you might want to either stop now or skip forward uh, a bit until we're done. Just just a, a note for anybody who's listening. In June 1936, as Hester Howard slipped into her final coma, her son maintained a death vigil for his father and friends of the family, getting little sleep, drinking huge amounts of coffee, and growing more despondent. On the morning of June 11, 1936, Howard asked one of his mother's nurses, a Mrs. Green, if she would ever regain consciousness. When she told him no, he walked out to his car in the driveway, took a pistol from the glove box, placed the end of the barrel just above and a little behind his right ear and pulled the trigger. His father and another doctor rushed out, but the wound was too grievous for anything to be done. Howard lived for another eight hours, dying at 4 p.m. His mother died the following day. The story occupied the entirety of that week's edition of the Cross Plains Review, along with the publication of Howard's A Mad-Eating Jeopard on June 14, 1936, A double funeral service was held at Cross Plains First Baptist Church, and both were buried in Greenleaf Cemetery in Brownwood, Texas. Howard seemed to have been horrified by the idea of becoming old and infirm. Even at the age of 24, he wrote to uh, Harold Pierce, I am haunted by the realization that my best days, mental and physical, lay behind me. Three years later, he again wrote about how old age regarding boxers, saying, It makes me feel like an old man to watch fighters I knew in their prime get slapped around by kids. A fighter's life is short at best. No time to waste, no time to rest. The spotlight shifts, the clock ticks fast, all youth becomes old age at last. Some say the writers too, some of them. A letter to August Derleth, another three years later, contained the declaration that Howard wished to die while still young and strong. He had a fear of getting old. A real one. And at, at age of 24, he felt his best days were behind him.
1: That's just sad.
0: H.P. Lovecraft wrote a moving obituary for Howard in Weird Tales, uh, lauding the incomparable vis- vividness of Howard's tales, and then singled out one of his most effective accomplishments, the description of vast megalithic cities of the Elder World around those dark towers and labyrinthian nether vaults clings an aura of pre-human fear and necromancy which no other writer could duplicate. So, of course, he's going to write a moving obituary, but he's got to make it a Lovecraftian obituary. Of course. Uh, Robert E. Howard's health, especially his mental health, has been the focus of biographical and critical analysis of his life. In terms of physical health, Howard had a weak heart, which he treated with taking digoxin, which is a medicine taken for a multitude of uh, heart issues. Um, The precise nature of Howard's mental health has been much debated, uh, both during his life and following his suicide. Three main points of view. Uh, some have declared that Howard suffered from an Oedipal complex or something similar, which is a theory developed by Sigmund Freud. Uh, the positive Oedipus uh, complex refers to a child's unconscious sexual desire for the opposite-sex parent and hatred for the same-sex parent. The negative Oedipus complex refers to a child's unconscious sexual desire for the same-sex parent and hatred for the opposite-sex parent. Freud considered that the child's identification with the same sex parent is the successful outcome of the complex, and that the unsex successful outcome of the complex might lead to neurosis, pedophilia, and homosexuality. So I don't buy this diagnosis, but it's out there. I don't either. He he wasn't, I don't feel like he was sexually attracted to his mother and he loved his father. He might have resented him a little bit for the first, you know, 13, 14 years of his life for moving everywhere, but he loved his father. He definitely wasn't sexually attracted to his father and he didn't hate his mother. So this all is bullshit to yeah, me. Yeah.
1: It's like, when when did he ever say he hated his father? Yeah,
0: a lot of this shit, this Freudian stuff, is kind of. I think it's kind of bullshit. This, oh, you're in love with your mother. Every, yeah, Every guy wants to marry a woman who reminds them of their mother. In certain ways, but that doesn't mean I'm sexually attracted to my mom. That's fucking weird.
1: And as of today, most psychologists deny the works of Freud.
0: Yeah, the whole unsuccessful outcome of the complex leading to neurosis, pedophilia, and homosexuality, that is a very 19 early 1900s way of looking at shit, which... Unfortunately, a lot of people still look at it like that, but it's it's just not true. Another viewpoint is that Howard suffered from a major depressive disorder, which is seemingly more probable. Um, probably bipolar, manic depres- depressive, something along those lines. He had probably some type of chemical imbalance.
1: Yes, either bipolar, maybe a bit of borderline personality disorder.
0: Sp- possibly. Uh, The third view is that Howard had no disorders and his suicide was a common reaction to stress. Uh, Knowing what we know about clinical depression and suicide, it's highly doubtful that that this is the case. But it is an opinion. I don't think that it was stress. Um, I think that the only reason he lived as long as he did was to take care of his mother. If his mother would have died three years earlier, he probably would have done it three years earlier. Yes. Um, uh, the only saving grace might have been if his, if him and Novelin would have had a strong relationship, she may have been able to pull him out of it. But I can't put that all on her because we don't know. He may have still done it. But I believe that she was probably the reason he lived as long as he did.
1: Yes. if I think if he would have found a different girl that he had more in common with, then
0: can't imagine a girl he's going to have a whole lot in common i with, know with his i know
1: it, especially back in the 1930s that's very rare especially in texas too yeah.
0: but so uh many of his writings came to be published and or released after his death for a full list by year of all his writings uh you can visit howardworks.com/years.html I am not going to go through them because there are literally hundreds, and we would be here for hours. Um, there's just way too many to name. But that is the crazy, tragic life of Robert E. Howard.
1: That's it. I mean, founder
0: of Sword and Sorcery.
1: <laughs> he. Man, his life is fucked up. I
0: told you at the beginning that that this was gonna be it was gonna be fun for a lot of it, and then it was gonna be not fun at all at the very end. I and mean, I mean, you talk about death about with people all you want, but still there's usually a a happy silver lining. Mark Twain lived a long, fulfilling life. and yeah, he died, but it was still a, a long, the way Howard went, it's it's tragic and and God, you would love to see what he could have done. With a few, even a few more years.
1: Yeah. And he said, you know, he's like, a few writers wrote really well when they were old, but like, yeah. It's like, dude, you know, many authors. Mark Twain was writing at the
0: same time you were. Well, Mark Twain, Mark Twain had died right around the time he was born. Mark Twain died in the, uh, like, 1910. And Howard uh, was born the very beginning of the nineteen of, of the 1900s. So by the time he was writing, Twain was dead. But he had all that to go off of. He could read all that. Right. And he was in his you know he was in his 60s and 70s when he was writing all that stuff. So, yeah, you can't say that old oh, old authors aren't good anymore because there are plenty of good old authors. He didn't like age.
1: I know. I get that. I'm you know. I get that he's scared. I'm afraid of growing up, basically. But I'm also excited, too. But, you know, because I'm... I'm
0: a Toys R Us kid. Oh, I'll grow up.
1: You know, I'm scared of becoming a grandma. I'm... You you brought up, you know, what do I want to be called? I was like, I don't know. I'm too young to be a grandma.
0: You're never too... I mean, technically, you're not too young. We have an 18-year-old. We're technically not too young to be a grandma. I know, but... Or night fuck, He's going to be 19. Yeah, and just... Months, yeah, yeah, but we're just old enough to have a kid. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. You know. I that that I had a kid at twenty.
0: Yeah,
1: but it's just I'm not ready to think about it yet. No,
0: that's best not to think about. Like most things going on right in in, in the year 2020, it's best not to think about it. Yeah,
1: it's, a, it's like you know, can he? probably fixated on it way too often because he was seeing his mother die at a young age. That probably
0: didn't help at all. Um, And he seems like the type of person, again, that would fixate on a lot of things if he wasn't keeping himself busy. If he's writing, he's not thinking about old age. But once he's done writing, He
1: probably had a shit ton of anxiety. I
0: imagine he was full of fucking anxiety. But not enough to keep him just in the house. He still went out and did shit. Yeah, but I imagine it's something that probably ate away at him. Yeah, we, as but, long
1: as he was busy, he wasn't thinking about it, no, and that's why he was just shouting, and or maybe he had some form of autism that wasn't even known back then.
0: If, if anything's a possibility. I mean, we could sit here and psychoanalyze Robert E. Howard till the fucking cows came home, and the problem is we don't have any cows, so we'd never stop because they'd never fucking come home.
1: Well, I could moo.
0: <laughs> uh, but that's our series on robert e howard uh i hope you all enjoyed it yes and i hope yes. we didn't scar anybody uh too much come back next week we'll have some more uh stephanie let's get the socials out there so everyone can get a hold of us
1: yes uh at open a F-I-N-G book on twitter and instagram at audio parfait on twitter and instagram And mine is at ECJBAT on Twitter and Instagram.
0: You can get me at YoungETAM, that's Y-O-U-N-G-E-T-A-M, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Go to our website, www.audioparfait.com. Email us at info at audioparfait.com. Go to our Anchor page, anchor.fm slash openafbook, and you can leave us a voice message. And uh, tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, give us ideas, um, go on there, and you never know, you your voice might end up on one of our podcasts. Ooh, yeah. wouldn't that be fancy? Wouldn't
1: it? We do have a specific shout-out.
0: We do. Um, go to the website, go to our, our socials, and you'll see this brand-new, beautiful uh, logo, cover art.
1: It was done by... Julio Cesar Cruz Garcia.
0: Yes, and he has um, a podcast of his own that we like to plug. Uh, for all the help he's he's done with with getting our logo done, it's and I love the name of this fucking podcast. It's blah blah blah. Words are hard. <laughs> and before I talked to him on there uh, on on uh, Facebook about our artwork, I was mad because I hadn't thought. Of that name first. <laughs> because it's just. It's, it's genius. Tr- it's true. If y- you listen to this. You'll hear me stumble along plenty. Because fuck. Words are hard. And he's right. For some people. For for me. Words are hard. So. Um, but thank you guys for showing up. And listening. Rate us. Review us. We are literally anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, go to the website and listen. And do yourself a favor. Between now and then. We get to talk to you next time. Go out. Open a fucking book.
1: Yes, and tell right. your friends to open a fucking book too. That's right. All right,
0: bye guys. Bye guys. Have a good day.